Would you pray with me as we ask for God's help for me and for us? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that your word speaks to all of life, but sometimes what you say is really hard, hard to hear and really hard to live out. We hear some words that are hard and challenging for husbands today or for wives today or for all of us. And Lord, we pray that you might help me to say and preach only what is true, faithful to your word, helpful for your people. And Lord, we pray for all of us by your spirit that you'd open our ears, our hearts. You might give us a willingness to hear, a willingness to live your way. Remind us, Lord, that we're not alone. You empower us by your spirit to live out what you call us to. So you give us strength to do this. Lord, we pray our time together now would be helpful and bring glory to Jesus. Amen. Please get your Bibles open at 1 Peter chapter 3, this passage we're looking at today. Well, maybe the Bible reading just earlier, maybe it's already turned you off, convinced you the Bible is sexist, irrelevant, outdated, uh, irrelevant for our lives today. Maybe the instruction for wives to submit to their husbands you find offensive, unacceptable, or you feel the pain or grief of a husband who's not fulfilled his role, maybe abused his role. Maybe you're not rejecting the teaching, but just questioning or struggling with what God's word says or how to live it out as a wife or a husband. Whatever you're thinking or feeling right now, I encourage you to not close your ears, not close your heart. For as as Bible-believing Christians, which most of us are, we believe all of God's word is true, trustworthy, it's inspired by God, and useful for rebuking and correcting us, teaching and training us. And yes, we need to do the work of interpreting what the author meant for his original audience before applying it to us, but please don't think that you don't need to listen. And if you're single, there is still a word here for you as well. So please come with me as we grapple with these things or begin to, and I invite you please to talk with me afterwards if you have questions. Since chapter 2, Peter has been teaching what it means to live as Christians, as God's chosen and holy people, and that involves doing good as we really pass through this life and look forward to our heavenly home that waits for us. And part of the good that we're to do is submitting to authorities, we've heard, and slaves submitting to their masters and today wives to their husbands. In each of these relationships, people might be tempted to withdraw, but the apostle is effectively saying, hang in there and do good. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. He says, in the same way. It's indicating that Peter is is talking about Christian conduct. He's still talking about Christian conduct, following the example of Christ in his submitting or and not sinning. And then we read, wives, submit to your husbands. When a man called Ross was a boy, his family would spend summer holidays down at Ocean Grove. True story. One thing that always happened was a beach, beach wrestling match. In true masculine style, the boys would test their strength and wrestle each other on the beach until one submitted. And Ross was the weakest. And he says, I hated hated it because when I was pinned down, feeling hopelessly overpowered, the question was asked, do you submit? 
Even still today, when words like submit are used, Ross says, I picture myself pinned face first in the sand and that voice inside saying, you are weak if you submit, you are defeated if you surrender. And yet, when the Bible speaks about surrender, it's not in terms of being conquered. Ross says it is choosing to let go and to let go of all that we hold dear, putting ourselves in God's hands and serving him. For many of us too, I think that when we hear submit, what comes to, th- what comes to mind are thoughts, feelings, memories of a loss of power, loss of choice, loss of freedom. Maybe you hear submit and you think doormat or oppression But that is to misunderstand God's intention for marriage. My my intro to 1 Peter 3 and my first point today is uh, what are our roles in marriage? And I want to say from the outset, husbands and wives are equal in human dignity, equal in value. Look at verse 7, equal in election, co-heirs of salvation. We're equal, but God calls us to take on different roles, which is why I want to begin with and and touch on from our first reading, Ephesians chapter 5. I preached on that in July last year. I think you can still find that on iTunes or get in touch with me if you didn't receive that or hear it. But I wanted to quickly set the scene for 1 Peter 3 with this passage, which says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That means as part of your serving the Lord Jesus. And in the same way that you serve the Lord Jesus. Wives and husbands have different God-given roles in marriage. Wives in verse 22 are commanded to submit. Verse 33, not on the screen, is commanded to respect. And in verse 20, 30, sorry, in verse 25, their husbands are commanded to love sacrificially. Those words are underlined. Our wives are to submit as Christ did to his father. And husbands are to love as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for his people to forgive and cleanse us from our sin as we trust in him. And like that, likewise, husbands, we husbands are to die to ourselves every day and lovingly serve our wives So to summarize it, headship is about servant leadership. Men, whether you're married or may one day be, know that headship is not to be used for yourself because that is not how Christ used his headship. He didn't say, you know, I'm going to sit here and have you serve me, thank you very much. No, what did he do? He stripped himself, he got down on his knees, he washed his disciples' feet and he said, look at what I've done and I'm the master. Follow my example. Headship is to be used for the good of the marriage, for the good of the family, for the good of your wife. And wives, submission in marriage is not about you doing whatever he says, whenever he says it, no questions asked. It's about you choosing to give in as you place yourself under his lead. 
Timothy Keller is a preacher and writer from the States. In 2012, there was a podcast with he and his wife, Kathy. And Kathy Keller says this, if there are husbands out there who are saying, yeah, who hear this teaching and say, yeah, I'm the head, this is good teaching, I like this stuff, well, she says it's respectful submission between equals that you need to hear. Submission is something that a wife gives. It's not something that a husband can demand. Christ emptied himself. He didn't grasp equality with God. It was a voluntary submission. And that proves that headship does not imply superiority and nor does submission imply inferiority. In marriage, the husband and wife both take on the role of Jesus. The husband takes on the role of Jesus as the head of the church. The wife takes on the role of Jesus as he is the son, submissive to the father for the, for the sake of our salvation. A head's job is to use their authority to meet needs, to serve. A head does not get all the perks, all the privileges and, you know, choose to have control of the remote or pick the colour of the next car you buy. No, your headship is expressed in servanthood primarily. Husbands are servant leaders. Wives are servant helpers. End quote. And because Christian husbands and wives are both to be like Jesus, putting the other person first, it will mean the husband taking the initiative. It should mean the husband taking the initiative, being the first to serve. But often in day-to-day life, it's going to mean both usually doing what the other asks because we're both wanting to serve each other. So it usually means the husband gives up his wants to serve and the wife gives in to serve him. And with that aspect of mutual listening and communicating and praying and the wife following his lead. And yet, as Tim and Kathy say, helpfully, I think wives who have husbands who do not understand their role as servants, wives can best help their husbands by gently but firmly standing their ground and showing him a better way. She may be the most help by insisting on counselling or by going herself if necessary. Don't wait for permission. Making your own changes is the best way to encourage the other to do the same. I highly recommend their books, Meaning of Marriage, and this new one, uh, The Meaning of Marriage, Couples Devotional. That's one that Kirsty and I have just started going through together. You see, submission is to be a wife's choice, to please Christ, not be coerced by a controlling or manipulative or sinful or abusive husband. Last week I referred to Steve Hopp who's written an article called The Hidden Epidemic God Hates. In that he says that you may be experiencing abuse in the name of Christianity if you're experiencing someone physically harming you, pressuring you to engage in sexual activity, insulting you, 
isolating you from your family or friends, threatening you, sabotaging your friendships, restricting access to finances, forcing you to diet or exercise, preventing you from working, controlling your communication, telling you what you can or can't say in small groups, at church, in social gatherings, locking you in rooms, blocking contact with counsellors, mentors, spiritual leaders, or punishing you for your sins. And Steve, a pastor and counsellor, says, I've seen all of these. If you've been abused, I ask you to please talk to someone, a friend, a leader, Fiona at the Prezi Safe Church Unit. Speak up because we and your God want you to be safe. And it is loving to get help to stop someone continuing in their sin. Let's now turn to 1 Peter 3 as we come to the second point, wives submit to win. In first century Greco-Roman culture, husbands and fathers had really absolute authority. If they gave orders, wives and children were expected to submit and obey. And if a husband changed his religion, the whole family would be expected to follow. And so what Peter says here to Christian wives married to non-Christian husbands, it's countercultural. It seems, we guess, that there were a lot of women coming to faith in Jesus and their husbands not yet. But this, what he says here is countercultural, and it tells us that a wife is not an all-accepting doormat. In her turning to the Lord Jesus and following and worshipping him, she may be rebelling against her husband. And to stick with Jesus against her husband's will, it was a huge thing, and it was courageous. And Peter here, though, he's also calling Christian wives to to something great, to show how following Jesus and not another religion or another God actually blesses their marriage and their relationship. She will not serve his gods, but she will serve him faithfully, kindness and patience, as we'll hear with gentleness, generosity. I do not understand how hard it is to be married to a non-Christian person. Or if you're a non-Christian watching, to be married to someone who's a Christian. Maybe got converted recently. I don't know how hard that is. But I know that is something that some of you here, some of, some of Bundy, live with every day. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that if your non-Christian spouse wants to leave you, then let them leave. You're not bound to them. But Peter says more than that here. He says to Christian wives, submit to win your unbelieving husband. Verse 1, if your husband disbelieves the gospel, disobeys God's word, submit so that they may be won over without a word by the way you live. A wife's life, And her behaviour, Peter is saying, is a a mighty weapon that God can use to draw her husband to Jesus, to win her husband for Christ. 
It's not that words are irrelevant. Because one cannot come to know and trust in Jesus without words, spoken or written or read. But the point is about his point is about the power of a life that has been changed by Jesus. Verse 2, a husband seeing your pure and reverent lives. <laughs> pure speaks of being sexually faithful, as well as someone who's free from fault. May we say genuinely godly. Reverence speaks of your great respect for God and your respect for your husband. Respect for your husband, even when he doesn't deserve it and he hasn't earned it. Submitting to your husband is not yielding to them through gritted teeth begrudgingly. It's willingly doing that to serve God and also to try and save your husband. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And Peter goes on to say it, it's your behaviour more than your looks that will be meaningful. Rich women in the Roman Empire in the first century, they would be showy about their wealth and their status. So they'd be displaying elaborate hairstyles with lots of braids, lots of curls, and there'd be gold jewellery, fine clothes, fine expensive clothes. And Peter is saying, verse 3, don't think your external beauty is going to attract your man to Christ. Real beauty, verse 4, comes from the heart. But not much has changed, has it, with people focusing on external beauty. The Australian beauty and personal care industry was valued at over $5 billion last year. Fashion industry contributed $27 billion to the Australian economy last year. That's a lot of hair and skin products, a lot of makeup, a lot of new clothes. Australians spend a lot on their physical appearance, don't they? Don't we? I wonder if you would be comfortable for others to know how much you spend on yourself and your appearance. Not wrong to care for your body or your physical appearance, to get your hair done, to wear makeup or buy new things. Christians should not disregard their appearance. And we want to love our spouse in that. But God is saying here, as we heard in the kids' talk, that what matters more, far more, is the heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, man, human beings, they look at what's visible, but God looks at the heart. And so whether for yourself, your partner, the future partner you desire and are looking for, I ask, does your physical appearance or does their physical appearance matter too much to you? Is that too important in your list of values? Married or single, young or old, we all need to remember that beauty in the sight of God is what comes from inside. And if we have kids, that's what we need to teach them too, to focus on the heart and to work on their heart character more than their looks. Reminding our kids that what matters more than keeping up with the next fashion, 
What matters more than them getting new clothes or having the best shoes or the Apple Watch or the nice jewellery, whatever it is for them at their age, we need to help them to see what matters more to God. And I say that this is hard because the world shouts at them, shouts at us in media and culture and everywhere that you and your looks matter so much. It's more than anything. So you always need to buy something new this next month. We're never satisfied. And God is saying what matters and what comes from the inside is what matters more. We need to focus on that more. What matters to God is your faith in your Saviour and your commitment to live for him, to live a life pleases him. Show something of Jesus. And what matters in a Christian wife, verse 4, is your gentle and quiet spirit. Gentleness or, or humility is a quality that all Christians should display. We'll see that next week. A, a gentle wife is one who will be willing to submit and to not insist on her own wants or rights. Same with a husband who's married to a non-Christian wife, displaying gentleness. Quiet describes someone who stays calm. So someone who's seeking harmony in the relationship and not looking for or escalating the next fight, the fight or the argument. And so a non-Christian spouse may ridicule and insult you for your Christian faith, but a godly person will not bite back, hit back, scream or yell back. Remember we thought about that last week, didn't we? The example of Jesus who did not insult or, or threaten in return. And godly wives, godly people will respond like that too. And men, young men, if you seek to marry one day and you think about the qualities that you should look for in a wife, I want to encourage you to look for someone who has this courageous faith in Jesus, willing to put him first before everything. Someone who also displays calmness, gentleness, self-control. May we say someone who displays the fruit of the Spirit. Peter then calls us to consider the example of holy women of the past. Verse 5. Uh, women who displayed hope in God and godly submission. Hope in God and in the heaven he promises, that's to be something that fills your heart and shapes your life. And in this COVID pandemic and lockdown, our Christian hope has been given an opportunity to shine forth. And I don't know if it has from you or not. But to shine forth before others. So I wonder if it has. Peter focuses on Sarah, though, as a particular example of submission. Sarah, married to Abraham, she called him Lord in Genesis 18, verse 12. In that context and culture, the word Lord just meant sir. And it was a conventional, respectful way of speaking. Interestingly, if you go back and read that later, Sarah had said that in the context of her laughing and doubting God's promise about her having a child when she's like 90. 
Peter seems to ignore the context and just focus in on that one word, though it does show her willingness to show submission and respect. Honestly, we do struggle. I struggle with the other things that Abraham expected of Sarah. I don't know how much you're familiar with the story. But twice, twice over it, once and then another, again, 25 years later, he asked Sarah to deceive a king about her being married to him, to save his own skin. In those moments, leaving his wife vulnerable to adultery, abuse, Abe failed to trust God and he failed to love his wife. It seems that Sarah submitted in those requests. I suggest it's because in verse 6, she feared no terror. She was trusting God completely. However, I wonder, in the light of Scripture's wider teaching, if it would have been acceptable for her to not do what he asked on those occasions, to avoid a sin. So Sarah, though, she gives us a, a godly example of respectful submission, but, but that doesn't mean that she wasn't assertive and had opinions. In Genesis 12, verse 5, Abraham, we're told, took Sarah left their family and land and went to what would be the promised land. In Genesis 18, verse 6, when the three visitors, angels, come, uh, Abraham directs, asks Sarah to bake to bake for them. In chapter 12, verse 13, in chapter 20, verse 13, he encourages her to do as she desires. By contrast, Sarah, in chapter 16, verse 2, encourages Abraham to do as he desires. In 21, verse 10, she asserts what she wants him to do in regard to sending Hagar away, which she does. You see, there's two sides to the relationship. It's not him being the boss. There's communication and there's give and take. And so verse 6 is an illustration and an example of the submission principle, it's not saying that every wife must call her husband Lord. It's not the case. As Neil made clear in the winter teaching back in July, couples have freedom to work out the practicalities of submission and loving headship in their own way. But please understand that submission is good in God's sight and God's plan for it is for it to be a good thing for marriages, a blessing to marriage. God designed it to bring Christ-likeness and goodness and unity to a marriage. What is also good and right, point three, is that husbands honour. Now here Peter says, Peter tells us how husbands are to follow Jesus and respect and obey God, and that is by doing good to their wives. And what does that include? He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. That's true in the home, in the bedroom, in all of life. Husbands are commanded to be understanding. That requires that we know our wife. And that requires that we make time for our wife and our family, that we listen and we love, we talk, we care. 
It means we not should not always be at home, sorry, we should not always be at work all day and at work all night. Maybe for someone like me, someone like me it means I shouldn't be working all day and at church meetings all night. Husbands, do you know the best way that your wife feels and experiences love? Are you expressing that? Whether through, it's your, through your quality time, your active listening, your words of affirmation, your acts of service, your gift giving, or whatever. Peter says that we're to show understanding to your wife as a weaker partner. Does not mean that women are the weaker sex. When Kirsty and I, with Kirsty, my wife and I, when it comes to pain thresholds, I am the weaker partner. Uh, I'm a wuss, a weakling when it comes to pain. Our wives can certainly be mentally, morally, spiritually, in other ways too, stronger. What Peter likely means is that when it comes to physical strength, Most wives are weaker. And God is saying to us husbands here, don't use your greater physical strength to abuse or oppress or hurt. In the face of weakness, we are to be considerate, understanding and show love. The point is strength ought to be used for service. And I encourage us all to Model that and teach that to our sons. You have sons or grandsons. Their strength, whether now or when they go through puberty, their strength is to be used for service. Working for, serving and protecting others while showing understanding, love to their wife, to their family, to the personal people in need. And ladies, girls, women, I hope that if you one day want to marry, that you will look for such a man who wants to use his strength to serve and love and protect. A man who will be considerate and understanding and love. I recommend this book by Deepak Raju. She's got the wrong guy whether you're wanting to date or you're even engaged, please read it. And girls, women, only choose to date or certainly marry someone who will honour you as a co-heir of the grace of life, verse 7. You see, men honouring their wives, it's more than respect, but it includes respect. The Greek word describes something that you hold up as as valuable. And so a husband was told earlier to honour the emperor. And now husbands are told to honour their wives. To hold her up, to lift her up with his words, with his actions, with his service. Honour her in your sexual faithfulness, in your attitudes, your actions. Husbands, everything we want or plan to say or do to our wives, it's helpful to put it through this filter to first ask yourself, will what I'm going to do or say honour my wife and lift her up? 
putting it through the Ephesians 5 filter, is what I'm about to say or do going to love my wife and seek her good? And that requires that we think, even pray, before we speak and act. I confess I've not always loved, considered, honoured my wife, needed to ask her forgiveness often. And I thank God for the forgiveness that Christ truly gives through repentance and faith. Husbands, if your wife follows Jesus, then you are both co-heirs of the grace of life. That means you're both receivers of God's loving kindness, both been saved by Jesus, but you both enjoy fellowship with God as equals. You're both headed to a heavenly inheritance to spend eternity with God, with all his people and with each other. And if you have an unsaved spouse, keep praying. Keep praying that they will be saved and that God will use your life, your witness, to draw them to Jesus. If you're single, or single again, I know not much of this sermon today has applied to you. But I do say in love that we don't just come to church to get, but we come to give. We also come to give. And so I ask you to please pray for married couples to live this out. Pray for your brothers and sisters in our church who have unsaved spouses to put their trust in Jesus so they can be saved by him too and experience eternal life. And speaking of prayer, that's where Peter finishes. He says, if you husbands don't show understanding and honour to your wives, your prayers will be hindered. On the one hand, that affirms scriptures like these, Psalm 66, Isaiah 59, that God will not hear your prayers if you, or a husband, intentionally continues in sin. But Peter also likely means that a husband's harshness, disrespect or dishonouring, it will hinder their prayers as a couple. Because I, I can say what wife would want closeness and to pray with a husband who hurts or ignores her? But couples who pray together will find their marriage preserved and strengthened as God uses prayer as this means of grace. And so there's, this, there's a spiritual motivation for the wife in her submitting. There's a spiritual motivation for the husband in his honouring. As I conclude, I ask, if you are married, what does God call you to? What does he call you to do? Wives to submit. Husbands to honour for the good of each other. And may our families, may our Bundy Church family be enriched by such marriages where there is respect, where there is love, where godliness 
and service, submitting and honouring, flow from our hearts in a way that's beautiful to God and glorifies him. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, your word speaks truths to our life that sometimes hard to hear and can be really hard to live out. And whether we're married or single, Lord, we don't always value the beauty on the inside. And Lord, for those of us who are married, we are too often selfish and we pray, Lord, that you would turn us away from selfishness and sin. You might lead us to genuine, heartfelt repentance. We pray, Lord, that that you might be at work to bring glory to yourself and good in the marriages of one another here in this church. We pray, Lord, for those of us who are married to someone who doesn't trust and follow Jesus, that you might use the gentleness and godliness, faithful witness of their spouse to draw their husband or wife to Jesus. Father God, we pray that you might please sustain us in serving and seeking the other good, others good, whether as servant leaders or servant helpers. So Lord, we ask for the strength of your spirit to live this way that is countercultural and against our selfishness. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.